In this podcast, we're going to talk about the thyroid gland and the extremes as far as having too low a thyroid or having too much thyroid hormone. So when you think about um, thyroid conditions, we have to think about the different hormones involved. So we have the thyroid releasing hormone, which comes from your um, hypothalamus. We have the thyroid stimulating hormone, which comes from your um, pituitary And then we also have your um, T3 and T4, which come from the actual thyroid gland. So there could be a problem with any one of these areas to cause these hormone levels to be thrown off. The first area we're going to talk about is hypothyroidism. So this means these patients don't have enough thyroid hormone for various reasons. One of the reasons could be it's not quite as common anymore, um, but in certain parts of the world, it could be is an iodine deficiency. So the thyroid gland needs iodine. Um, It relies on it. It loves it. Iodine, it attracts iodine, and it's needed to help produce thyroid hormone. So if someone's not getting enough in the diet, then they could develop hypothyroidism. And this other um, thing that condition that you'll hear a lot in association with the thyroid conditions is goiter. And someone can have a goiter whether they have too much thyroid hormone, not enough, or they could still have stable levels of thyroid hormone and have a goiter. And a goiter is just an enlargement of that gland. So you probably remember learning about how to palpate Um, Or maybe you've even seen it done by a physician or seen nurse practitioners do it, palpating the thyroid gland. So on your neck, when you palpate that, if someone had a goiter, it would probably even be noticeable without even having to palpate where it would be enlarged. So in the situation where someone's not taking in enough iodine and they don't have enough thyroid hormone, they could actually develop a goiter because the body is signaling Um, the body to release thyroid-stimulating hormone from your pituitary gland because it's kind of freaking out. Like, we don't have enough iodine. We're not producing enough thyroid hormone. So let's get this feedback loop going. So in stimulating the body to produce more thyroid-stimulating hormone, that then makes your thyroid gland enlarge. So it'll enlarge, but it still isn't going to produce enough thyroid hormone, your T3 and T4, because it doesn't have enough iodine because of the poor diet. So that's one reason we can see hypothyroidism. Another reason we can see it um, is it could be just autoimmune conditions that can cause it. Um, And also just having the thyroid gland removed. You know, we're going to talk about hyperthyroidism. And one of the things that we can do to help treat hyperthyroidism is to remove the thyroid gland, which could then cause a patient to go into hypothyroidism. Um, Another common cause is not only the removal of the thyroid gland, but the treatment used for hyperthyroidism, like other treatments besides surgery. Um, We can do options like radioactive iodine that can help shrink the thyroid gland And that could also cause hypothyroidism. No matter what the cause, um, let's look at some of the assessments that we're going to see. So if somebody doesn't have enough thyroid hormone, 
the thyroid hormones are very, very responsible for your, um, the metabolism of all bodily systems. So we're going to see a lot of side effects, a lot of signs and symptoms if somebody has too low or too high of a thyroid. So with too low thyroid hormone, what we'll see is they could have cool, pale, or yellow skin. They're going to have real dry, coarse, scaly skin, thick, brittle nails, dry, coarse, brittle hair. They'll have even decreased hair growth from the lower metabolism. Um, they might even lose their eyebrow hair. Poor wound healing, hypoventilation, pleural effusions, dyspnea, bradycardia, dysrhythmias, enlarged heart rate. I'm sorry, enlarged heart they could have decreased activity intolerance. They're very sluggish and fatigued. They can have hypotension, um, decreased body temperature along with having that decreased metabolic rate. This could also lead to cold intolerance. They can even have psychosocial um, things come up as far as depression or paranoia, apathy, just you know not having any energy or interest at all. Weight gain, constipation, abdominal distension. They could also have cognitive effects like slowing of intellectual slowing of intellectual functions, lethargy or somnolence, confusion, hearing loss, paresthesias, decreased tendon reflexes, muscle aches and pains, changes in menses. Um, they might even suffer from anovulation where they're not ovulating at all. Decreased libido, impotence, paraorbital edema, facial puff, puffiness, non-pitting edema of the hands and the feet, um, hoarseness, especially if they have a goiter from that enlargement, a thick tongue, increased sensitivity to opioids, tranquilizers, weakness, fatigue, decreased urine output, easy bruising, iron deficiency anemia, and also vitamin deficiencies. As far as di diagnostic tests, we're going to be testing those T3 and T4 levels. Those are your thyroid hormones that are coming from the thyroid gland, so they would be decreased. TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone levels, could be high if this is a primary hypothyroidism because what the body's doing is it's sensing that there's not enough T3 and T4 coming from the thyroid gland because the primary issue is with the thyroid gland in that scenario. So then that feedback mechanism causes your pituitary to secrete more TSH, trying to release more T3 and T4. You could also have decreased thyroid stimulating hormone levels if the problem is actually with the pituitary gland and its dysfunction. One of the main complications we want to watch out for for patients who have hypothyroidism for whatever reason is called myxedema coma. And just like the name implies, coma, these patients can um, really suffer and go into a shock-like state where they're very hypotensive and their circulatory system is collapsing, they're having decreased perfusion to organs, and that's because their metabolism has gone so low because their thyroid hormone level has gone so low, and their heart muscle becomes really flabby and enlarged which also contributes to the decreased cardiac output and decreased blood flow to the various organs, including the brain. So that's why they could be really out of it. So these patients um, need to be watched closely. And anybody who's at risk for hypothyroidism needs to be watched closely for the complication of myxedema coma. So watching their cognitive level very closely. 
is important. And like I mentioned before, you're having to be um, really cautious with sedatives with these patients because their body, with the their metabolic rate being slower, they're not going to be able to process those quite as easily. Things that we want to do to intervene, um, kind of in general, as well as if they're having myxedema coma, um, we, we have to watch out for the potential respiratory and cardiac issues that could occur. That would be a priority. So monitoring respiratory rate and depth, as well as SpO2, applying oxygen if needed. Um, like I mentioned about avoiding sedatives, if at all possible, or giving lower doses because they're more sensitive to the medications with hypothyroidism. Monitor heart rate and rhythm. We'll have to administer hormone replacement therapy to fix the issue. So levothyroxine is the drug of choice. Um, we'll help, we will use blood levels to help determine the correct dose. So we would expect from a nursing perspective to watch for those blood levels and report that to the healthcare provider and they'll do the correct dosing. One thing that's kind of interesting is we have to teach families and patients not to change brands um, and to take the medication as directed. The thing that they found with the thyroid hormone, um, the different brands, when you switch a brand, that each brand actually has a different bioavailability. And that means how much drug is available to the body. So if they're used to taking one brand, but then they're like, oh, the other brand's cheaper, it can be dangerous switching that because of that decreased bioavailability. So we want to caution patients with that. Um, so that they don't get themselves into trouble. And then taking it as directed, you're supposed to take the thyroid hormone, levothyroxine, in the morning, first thing on an empty stomach, um, because the food can affect its absorption. You're also not supposed to take any type of vitamin or mineral with it, especially iron, because that'll also affect it, its absorption. And they typically want you to wait like four hours between those two types of medications. So let's say, for example, a patient has to take iron and thyroid hormones. So they would take their levothyroxine first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, and then they would wait four hours later, so most likely with lunch, they could take their iron supplement um, so that those don't interact with each other. So because of that, we want to educate patients on talking to healthcare providers before taking any over-the-counter medications because there could be an interaction with their thyroid hormone drug. And then we just want to teach patients about, you know, all the things that I listed off, thinking about all of those different assessment features that you see with hypothyroidism and how we could help patients combat those, you know, some common things like constipation and dry skin, like what could I teach them to help them with that? Okay, now let's kind of talk about it from the other perspective, and we'll talk about hyperthyroidism. So obviously you see the prefix hyper, and that means more. So hyperthyroidism involves someone who has excessive um, or greater amounts of thyroid hormones. So here's some common causes or, common, or causes that we're going to see. Um, they could have something called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And this is interesting because it's... Um, It'll cause a goiter. You, you see that thyroiditis, so there's inflammation. It's an autoimmune condition, and it actually can cause both hyper and hypothyroidism. So initially, when someone has this Hashimoto's thyroiditis and they have this inflammation going on, 
that's causing the thyroid gland to secrete more hormone. So they actually have hyperthyroidism. As that continues on, the thyroid gland starts to get destroyed by all this inflammation. So eventually someone with Hashimoto's thyroiditis could develop hypothyroidism because of the destruction of the gland with that inflammation over time. Another common cause of hyperthyroidism, as well as another common cause of goiter, is Graves' disease. So this is yet another autoimmune condition. Um, and in this case, the immune system is producing a protein called thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulin. And this immunoglobulin is causing the excessive production of the thyroid hormones. So it doesn't matter you know, what the hormone levels are doing in the body because they have this antibody or this immunoglobulin um, that is secreting the excessive hormones. And so then that's why we see that goiter to develop and they develop hyperthyroidism. So let's see what else. Um, so things that you would see in the patient with hyperthyroidism. So besides possibly a goiter, um, we could also see what's called exothalamus, E-X-O-P-H-T-H-A-L-M-O-S. And this you've probably seen before in pictures. This is where their eyes are popping out. Um, fluid builds up behind the eye and causes the eyes to pop out. Um, they can also have this pretibial myxedema, which is a dry, waxy swelling of the front surface of their lower leg that resembles keloids or benign tumors. And those two are both pretty characteristics of, uh, characteristic of Graves' disease being the cause. Other things that we could see, so these are going to be more excessive things um, because they're, remember, with hyperthyroidism, the thyroid hormones control metabolism, so now the metabolism is going at a rapid rate. So they could have diaphoresis, fine, soft, silky body hair, smooth, warm, moist skin, thinning of the scalp hair, palpitations, chest pain, increased um, systolic blood pressure, tachycardia, dysrhythmias, rapid, shallow respirations, weight loss, increased appetite, increased stools, blurred or double vision, eye fatigued, increased tears, they could have red conjunctiva in the eye, photophobia, eyelid retraction or eyelid leg, hyperactive deep tendon reflexes, tremors, insomnia, heat intolerance, low-grade fever, fatigue, decreased attention span, restlessness, and irritability. They may be emotionally labile. They could also have manic behaviors. Um, they could have amenorrhea, so absence of menses. Decreased libido, I already mentioned the goiter, wide-eyed or startled appearance, that's the exothalamus, enlarged spleen, muscle weakness, and wasting. As far as diagnosing the patient, so we're going to look at blood tests again. Um, they we could do blood tests on the TSH level, thyroid-stimulating hormone, um, also your T3 and T4. So your T3 and T4 will be increased. Um, with the TSH level, it'll depend on what the cause is of the hyperthyroidism as to whether it'll be high or not. We might also um, pick up on those antibodies in the blood from the autoimmune conditions. 
And then we could do a thyroid scan or an ultrasound of the thyroid gland to pick up on the um, increase in size or inflammation of the thyroid. And I don't know if I mentioned this with hypothyroidism, but with both hypo and hyper, since you can see dysrhythmias, one of the diagnostic tests we can do um, to see if they're having a complication like a dysrhythmia is do EKG testing. The complication that we want to watch out for when we're assessing is called thyroid storm, or you may also hear it called thyrotoxic crisis. So this is also a life-threatening event that occurs, um, and it's going to occur because of uncontrolled hyperthyroidism, and it's characteristic by high fever and severe hypertension. So when we're assessing patients, we're going to look at their vitals um, more frequently if they have hyperthyroidism or they're at risk for that because of the fact that if we detect a temperature elevation of even one degree Fahrenheit, then that could be an indication that they're going into thyroid storm. So then we'll check their cardiac status for dysrhythmias. Um, the patient may appear anxious and have tremors. They may even develop confusion with thyroid storm. And it can be triggered by stressors like infection, DKA, pregnancy. So teaching them about how to maintain stress and, and how to cope so that they don't have much stress could help um, decrease the risk of developing thyroid storm. Keeping in mind things like keeping the environment cool and quiet, that can help decrease stress. And like I said, just monitoring vitals more frequently, doing EKGs, really looking at that temperature as well. And they can also, um, people who have hyperthyroidism, knowing that they're at risk for thyroid storm, we don't generally want them to take salicylates like aspirin, because this can cause them to go into a crisis. Um, I want to say that the the salicylates will um, increase that thyroid level in the body, the free thyroid level. I'm not exactly sure how, um, but that'll exacerbate thyroid storm. And let's see what else. Um, interventions. So I mentioned a few with thyroid storm. Um, then just in general, measuring your apical pulse, because that's the most accurate, knowing that they can have um, tachycardia, dysrhythmia issues. Measuring the, the vitals at least every four hours, reducing stimulation, promoting comfort. Um, I'll talk about the drugs here in a minute that we can give for hyperthyroidism. And yeah, let's go ahead and go on to um, treatment like the drugs and the surgery. So drugs that we can use, we have antithyroid medications, and two of the common ones are purple thiouracil and methamosyl. Um, and what these do is they're going to block thyroid hormone production. So they're going to block T3 and T4 from being produced. Um, so we can use this for hyperthyroidism, and sometimes this is very successful in, in patients go into a more euthyroid state, meaning their thyroid hormone levels are stable uh, for years and years. If patients are on propothiouracil and methamosyl, there's a few things we want to teach them. Um, they can decrease their immune response. So, you know, teaching them about signs of infection, how to reduce um, the risk of them getting sick, avoiding crowds and people who are ill. We, it could also send them into a hypothyroidism state. So teaching them about signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism. Propothiouracil specifically is not used quite as commonly because it can cause liver toxicity. So teaching patients about 
um, effects, side effects of liver toxicity and how they would know if they were going into that. And then um, as far as during pregnancy, um, neither of these are great during pregnancy, um, but uh, I think that, let me see. Yeah, I would just say, I think one of them um, is okay. I think it's propothiuracil is okay during the first trimester. But they'll just try to usually avoid antithyroid medications like propothiuracil and methamosyl during pregnancy because of the risk of birth defects, just to be safe. There's other options that we can do, we'll talk about here in a minute. So then other drugs that we can use, those are your go-to ones for hyperthyroidism. And then we can also use um, what are called, it's called Lugol solution. So basically this has got iodine in it. And it's weird to give somebody who has hyperthyroidism iodine. But here's how it works. So somebody will be given those antithyroid medications that I just mentioned, one of those. And then about an hour after that, they'll follow that up with the Lugol solution because it'll be attracted to the thyroid gland because it's got iodine in it. And what this does is so those antithyroid drugs have caused the body to reduce the T3, T4 that they're producing. But when we do that, that could then make the body freak out, right? And start kind of processing that whole feedback mechanism to try to produce more again. So by giving the body that extra solution, that Lugol solution, and giving them that iodine, the body will think, oh, you know, we're okay. We don't need to produce any more thyroid hormone. But this only lasts temporarily. This is kind of a fix um, a lot of times that they'll do before surgery. You know, if somebody takes his antithyroids, they don't go into a state of remission, um, and they know that they're going to have to take out the thyroid, then they could do the antithyroid medications like methamosyl, propothyuracil, follow up with the Lugols, um, and then take them into surgery. Um, because you don't want somebody to go right into surgery if they're suffering from hyperthyroidism and their thyroid levels are so high, we have to somehow use medication to get them to a more euthyroid state because there could be so many complications taking them into surgery if their thyroid hormone levels are sky high. So that could be something we could do. The other option we have is radioactive iodine therapy. So this is something that would also be given to help get that thyroid gland to a more euthyroid state. We have more stable levels of thyroid hormone and then you take the patient to surgery to remove part of that thyroid horm that thyroid gland. So as the name implies, radioactive iodine is radioactive, and it has iodine in it. Um, so it's going to be attracted to the thyroid gland because it's got iodine in it, and the radioactive part of it is going to help start destroying that thyroid gland, which will help lower those thyroid hormone levels. Because it's radioactive... Um, we have to teach the patient how to protect others. So they're going to have to do things like, um, you know, flushing multiple times after going to the bathroom. Um, they should try to use their own bathroom for at least two weeks um, after receiving radioactive iodine until that's kind of flushed out of their system. And to help it flush out of their system, we're going to encourage them to drink a lot of fluids we also want to watch their kidney function to make sure that it is working and going to help flush things out. 
um, if people are, um, you know, if, if they notice like urine spills on the toilet seat, then they should use things to um, clean it up, and then they're going to have to bag up whatever they used to clean it up in a separate bag to dispose of it properly. Um, they should also wash their clothes separately from others for several weeks after. We would also encourage them to use a laxative on the second and third day after receiving radioactive drugs because this will help excrete the contaminated stool faster. Um, have them not share common things like toothbrushes, toothpaste, tubes. Um, try to use anything disposable that they can, like disposable utensils, plates, and cups. And, and again, this is going to be for like a few weeks after until that's kind of flushed through their system. And then what will happen is they'll go to surgery and they'll will remove that thyroid gland. And most of the time we're just removing part of it. So there's still going to be a little bit of it left. And because of that, they are still at risk for thyroid storm. So we would watch for that after surgery. Um, and then the other thing that can happen is we remove so much of it that they go into a state of hypothyroidism. So watching for signs of, of that as well. And because this involves surgery on the neck, we really have to watch the airway. Watch for signs of um, you know, stress and breathing. They could have this strider that develops in their breathing. It's a very distinct sound, um, and they can develop dyspnea. You know, looking for any bleeding post-surgery. Um, the other interesting thing that can happen is because the parathyroid glands, which control calcium in the body, are located on the thyroid gland, when you remove the thyroid gland, you're removing parathyroid glands as well. So we would have to watch these patients for signs and symptoms of hypocalcemia, and they might even have to take calcium gluconate postoperatively if their calcium levels are dropping. So, you know, remembering those signs like your positive chivostex, positive trousseaus, the tetany, the tremors and stuff that can occur with hypocalcemia. So I think that is finally the end of this uh, complex hormone, the thyroid hormones. Um, so we've seen, you know, what can happen with extremes of that hormone, as well as what can happen if they don't, if patients don't have enough of it, complications that can develop, signs and symptoms, thinking about things that we would want to teach based on those signs and symptoms, um, and then what can I do about it to help these patients and to help prevent complications.